0: And I think that's why, I mean, the, the title of this, of this essay, Two Ways with the Self, it almost could be, could be retitled as Two Selves, and that drawing that slash through self and ego or self and selfishness or selfness is really important here. It's so freeing when I think, um, well, how do I put myself to death when, when the New Testament is, is speaking of putting to death the works of the flesh or the flesh itself. It's really talking about that selfishness, that selfness that is not going to last beyond the return of Jesus. When he comes back, that part will be completely uh, removed. And, and then, but ourselves, we, we don't just get absorbed into him is the thing. We continue to live as um, communing, but separate beings through all of eternity. And, and so that self has to, uh, has to remain and theologically speaking, can be then a part of a new creation. Welcome to Lesser Known Lewis, where two friends and C.S. Lewis fans explore his lesser known works.
1: Join us this season as we are exploring essays from Lewis that we think speak to our world. Hey Jordan, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing very well. How about yourself?
0: Good. No, I'm loving life. Uh, as I was as I was reading this essay, getting ready for today, mm-hmm. anticipating our conversation, I think I said now for the eighth time or however many essays we've read together, I think this is one of my favorite uh, C.S. Lewis essays. We're going to get back into it. This is kind of a a sequel for us, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's kind of exciting. We're already getting into sequel episodes.
0: Well, and I think that's the best. I don't know if you've watched any old TV recently, like circa mid-90s, but there was almost no such thing as a sequel. And then TV started to get good in the early 2000s, where it was these big, overarching themes and and narratives. I just learned from a friend of mine who's kind of a film scholar that... uh, that 24 was one
1: of the shows that really did. Did you
0: ever watch 24?
1: I tried and I couldn't get into it because I watched it too late. And by that time, a flip phone didn't impress me as far as like spy (laughs) technology.
0: (laughs) I had that exact same experience, actually, because people kept talking to me about how iconic this show is. And then I went back and I'm like, oh, this is a cool idea. But anyway, apparently it was really groundbreaking, but neither of us really watched it. I only share all that to say we're getting into now an exciting time for us in our discussions, uh, where we get to start to see the overarching themes that C.S. Lewis is bringing in together in in lots of his essays. Now, of course, we've we've batched together the different essays that are that are um, seem like they work well together, so it shouldn't be a surprise. But I feel like this is kind of. Like, you know, you meet a character in episode one or episode two, and then you don't see them for a while. And then all of a sudden they're standing in the background of the room when that really dramatic thing happens is kind of where some of this is going. Yeah. Where we get to draw a thread from from this to other essays.
1: Yeah. And you find out that character is more important than you thought it was. Or you find out the real reason why that character was in earlier episodes was to set up this more important yes. thing. Yeah, I think so. I think this essay is like that because it was... Um, so in our episode on membership, there's this whole section on um, equality and inequality that really tripped us up. Uh, it was kind of shocking and surprising and and we talked about it and I guess we felt like we didn't completely understand what Lewis was meaning. And I mean, to the listener, we Sean and I are really just, we're not doing a ton of prep for these uh, episodes, which... Is both a good thing and a curse. The good thing being, we're just what we want to do is read the episodes and react to them and reflect on them almost in real time uh, together, Sean and I. But uh, we're not able to like really dig into things and and finally hone down Lewis's arguments so we really grasp everything he's saying on them. We're 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 reading them, trying our best to understand them and reflect them together. But uh, in some ways, I think some of the stuff for membership, we just didn't know exactly what to do with. But um, much to our uh, benefit, Lewis has this whole other essay that he wrote a couple of years before membership. And I mentioned it when we did the, M- the membership episode. It's called Equality. Mm-hmm. And I think today we wanted to do a whole episode on equality, just because it'll give us a chance to revisit and explore this idea some more and hopefully understand it a little better now that we've had some more time to think about it and some more, more of Lewis's material to um, to read about it. Yeah, I totally
0: agree. Referring back to membership, you know, today we're going to be looking at at uh, two essays. One is is entitled Equality. And it uh, it was printed in August nineteen forty three, and then the next one is going to be two ways with the self, and and both of them are going to add nuance to this idea of of equality, obviously, um, as as the uh, essay is titled, and and as it came up in in membership, but uh, yeah, it's funny because that was um, that was one of the first discussions that we had was. Was on membership, and I remember thinking, "Wow, how are we going to get through these conversations if this is the level of of kind of nuance and and um, and deeper understanding that Lewis is going to require? You know that that his his argument one of my favorite words um, is not very is is perspicuity. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. very penetrable his arguments, but it's not quite true. It's just I think that this is a linchpin for understanding a lot of Lewis's worldview." And and how equality, again, is used really differently today than it was in the past. So Jordan, let's jump into it. Um, Again, we asked this question in membership, what does Lewis mean by equality? And, And we discussed it there, but how does this essay change our understanding from that
1: conversation? Well, for me, it gives a better understanding that Lewis isn't against equality totally. And of course, we knew then, and and especially in this essay, now he sees equality as something that we do need politically and even economically, but to a certain degree and for the right reasons, I think is more um, right what he's concerned about. And he sees equality being uh, what's the word promoted. (laughs) He sees equality being promoted right in too many areas of life and for the wrong reasons, reasons that at least go against his Christian um, beliefs about the world and, and how he sees things. And so that helped me, that from this equality essay helped me understand him a little bit better, more, more specifically and less generally, I guess. Yeah. What about you? For me, there's two really big hooks
0: that that need to settle into my mind uh, as I read Lewis on equality. And and one of them is that he considers equality and sameness to be um, basically almost interchangeable terms. And he really really strongly disagrees, battles against the idea of human sameness. He would say that um, to paint everybody with the same paintbrush, to say that everybody has the same capabilities, should have the same authority and autonomy, should, have, should be given the same voice, uh, is, is just patently false. It's not connected with reality. And so when we think about equality, we're thinking about it primarily through a social justice lens that is saying, our, you know, is one class or race uh, or gender uh, or, or lifestyle expression equal to all the others and and I, I actually almost think he's not talking about that though though Lewis's comments on equality maybe do impact it so and we, we covered that fairly well in in membership that it's not about sameness so that's kind of hook number one hook number two mm-hmm. is that he approaches equality so pragmatically and basically says we're all different we're not meant to be the same some people should have authority and power over others but because we're all broken, fallen people, equality is a way for us to interact with one another to prevent abuses, essentially. So he opens up uh, the, the essay Equality and says, uh, quote, I'm a Democrat because I believe in the fall of man. I think most people are Democrats for the opposite reason, end quote. So in in other words, he says, you know, we need checks and balances on human beings, and that's why equality is important, whereas many, many people would say equality is important because um, those who should have a, a more exalted role in society, family, whatever, need to be given it. So he comes at it, he arrives at the same place that maybe we do for a very different reason, as, as I read it. So, but here's the thing, though. I would say that for me, I would I would have a knee-jerk reaction. I would look at equality almost as a virtue. Right. And 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 equal um treating people as equals, of course. Um and and yet Lewis still he actually has some problems with equality. So why would he have any problem with equality? And what does he say about that in this paper?
1: Yeah, that that's a good question. He he definitely is uh like you said, okay with equality as kind of a means that's necessary in our world because of because of the fall of man. And that's a that's a, again, because of his Christian belief in the fall of man, equality is necessary to protect uh, people who are, who would be abused by misuses of authority. And he's for equality in so far as it means the desire for fair play among people in a nation. But I guess again, yeah, like you said, it's he's not for it when it comes to seeing equality as an ultimate virtue, whereas um, this this big thing that's always good and meant to, it's not an ultimate end or goal that we're trying to achieve in all aspects of life. Huh. And so his problem with equality is because of some of the things that actually produces in society, and he sees that in—I don't know how to group it—either two or three ways. One of two of the ways kind of are the same thing, maybe. But the first, I think, is that he says that there's no spiritual sustenance in flat equality. Yeah, and uh, just this idea that actually we, because he of what he believes as a Christian, he does believe that there's some sort of. Order And hierarchy, like I said earlier, baked into the created universe, into the created order. And that actually we're, we're created free, but we're also created with a desire to obey and submit. Mm. Mm. And that there needs to be some level of authority and, and subservience in order for a society to function and to work. And so he says where there's no, where we take all equality away, we're still left craving this bit of inequality and that will lead people to just bad forms of entertainment. Like we'll actually just seek it in our entertainment. And so you see people entertained by sports where there's nothing equal about sports. Right right? The whole idea of sports is people trying to dominate one another. Yeah. And we don't believe in people's rights for equality within sports. If you're better, then you should get more money. If you're better, then you should win, right? There's no participation ribbons in professional sports. Um, But that's just kind of a silly example, but he probably more more to the point he says the Nazis came out of they appealed to the desire in people for inequality
0: yeah that whole line of thought really stood out to me and and some of the quotes that you pulled out as well um, I think in the end you know in one case we have like you said this idea it was it was fascinating to me that that um, when when he talks about Poorly constructed equality that it creates that spiritual vacuum um, and and again I would say spiritual social vacuum uh, that was definitely nothing that I had ever considered before and how we we crave inequality is what he says as as you quoted him so much that it would lead us into um, into Nazism in some cases which is which is just wild but um, he says that's just because quote, the tempter always works on some real weakness of our own systems of value and offers food to some need which we have starved, end quote. So I think your your analogy about sports is really good. And I think that in general, pop culture helps us to understand this more or entertainment culture helps us to understand it more as does the economy. So it's like, I don't expect, I don't expect, uh, I don't expect everybody to be equally famous in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But I also do, I can stand for, um, let's say, just hypothetically, people who are trying to make um, more laid roles for, for women or for people of color. Um, because I think in our, in our modern conversation about equality, it would probably be framed in those terms. Mm-hmm. And But why is that? Well, it's not because inequality in the system of, of fame or performance is wrong. Or that we don't see that there's inequality. You know, there's different people with different talents and skills, but actually more so because the people who have power in that sphere of influence are fallen men and women. Yeah, and so they are naturally going to make decisions that come out of that fallenness, brokenness, sinfulness. And so Lewis is saying that in all of our relationships, in the family, and um, and you know, there's a we, we said we we're not going to get into it, and we won't. But there's an interesting little section here on 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 the fact that we need equality for women in society and in family because of how badly men have abused their power. And then he goes into a whole discussion about about um feminism and marriage and and um and relationships and romance and 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 you know fascinating again his his perspectives as a single male. I think is probably what that is. Yeah. But um but also just saying that um in 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 every sphere uh of of uh, society politics um religion et etc we we have to put on equality like clothing um because we are no longer in our natural innocent state where we can be quote unclothed and have inequality at least not all the time uh and and so I think that 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 innate craving was just to circle back to my original thought there that innate craving for inequality was definitely not something that I would have ever, ever been self-aware of before until he starts to talk about, well, yeah, we have, we have economic heroes. Think about the Elon Musks of today and the Jeff Be- Bezos. Maybe, maybe they're not heroes of yours, but but you look at them and go like, man, you guys are making like bajillions of dollars and and it is amazing. And we hope that you continue to use it for the good of other people. But, but you were able to just like, literally, pardon the pun, rock it through, through society and, and climb through it. We look at it in in like movies, you know, Kenobi's out now, Mm -hmm. how does this stack up against your other favorite streaming show? Um, we, we look at it, like you said, in sports. Um, and I think about music, we can, we objectively, or I guess maybe subjectively, we subjectively categorize all our music. We have our favorite musicians and our favorite songs, and we recognize that there is talent that is unattainable by our least favorite musicians and, and songs, et cetera. And yeah, so do you, I guess, um, first, am I reading that rightly? Do you think Jordan and, uh, and am I missing anything there when it, when I just talk about, um, you know, equality and inequality and kind of what Lewis is getting at?
1: Well, I think you point out the really interesting, well, one of the really interesting quotes that he has here that he basically I guess he throws shade at America because he talks about it's he says it's really great. he loves what democracy has done in England, but he also loves that England still has a monarchy, that they have this this vestige of inequality still present in their political system. And the reason is he, this is how he throws shade at America. He basically says wherever men, do away with a monarchy. What grows up in place of it is they, were um, he doesn't say worship, but he, he says they idolize basically millionaires, celebrities, film stars, even famous prostitutes and gangsters. Yeah. And it just points out that like in a place like America that was like, we don't want this hierarchical government of a king you do away with that and you claim to want more equality for individuals but you still see what grows up in in place of that is there's still this craving for inequality yeah celebrity is a thing because as humans we love some version we love lifting up other people and looking to them for guidance or authority or because they're impressive or we want to follow someone something and now i mean this is just the icing on the cake with donald trump now you have celebrity becoming so grandiose in that system that the celebrity becomes the ruler right yeah or the leader I guess the second problem that Lewis has with equality is in what he suspects for being the source of the desire for equality, he suspects that the desire for equality comes from fallen humanity's fallen desire and, and that what the result of that equality will be is, I, I guess the the fallen desire that leads to this version of equality that Lewis is against, the fallen desire would be a desire for the wrong sort of love of self, the desire for everyone else to think that you're just as good as they are. So I think he sees this sort of equality as springing up from Human pride and jealousy and actually insecurity, and he he refers to Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who is a French philosopher, political philosopher from, seventeen uh, hundreds I think, and Rousseau said that there's actually two versions. There's two ways you can love yourself. There's the usual like, you love yourself so you go on eating and just trying to live. But then there's the port of the part of self love where you love yourself so much that you wish others would view you highly. And he was for that type of self-love as a good end. And he was the one who came up with this version of political equality um, because he believed all men to be so good that they deserve, that everyone deserves to lead. And so that's the sort of democracy that Lewis starts out this essay by saying he's against is he's not a Democrat because everyone's so good that they should all get a chance to leave lead, but because everyone is evil. So contrary to Rousseau, everyone is wicked and fallen and broken. And that's why we should have democracy, not because everyone's good. And so the source of equality that he is against is the idea that everyone is good instead of everyone is fallen.
0: In other words, we can't, we can't entrust all of this power and authority and influence um, to broken people because they are definitely going to make mistakes and and be evil and self-serving at least some of the time. And so then, as a group, we need to have checks and balances to to make sure that that doesn't happen. Am I picking that up properly?
1: Yeah, good. That's that's a helpful uh, way to explain more clearly what I was trying to say. Well, <laughs> no, I think you were saying. That. <laughs> but I guess then the the thing that this sort of equality produces is Lewis is kind of like if it's coming from this bad place, the wrong place of jealousy and insecurity, he says it's the it comes from the spirit of claiming I'm just as good as you are. Mm-hmm. Uh he points out I think it's in Screwtape proposes a toast. He uses this same line and is talking about Jean-Jacques Rousseau and he makes I wish I could remember it exactly, but it's like St. Bernard's never say to a cat, I'm just as good as you are. Because huh. they, no, they have no need to, to defend themselves against a little cat. Huh. It's the cats who would say to a St. Bernard, well, I'm just as good as you, right? It's, it's, it's those who feel threatened and feel lesser than who demand for equality in that sense. Interesting. And so what he fears this leads to this sort of equality is it will lead to uh, dumbing down standards and punishing excellence and erasing uniqueness and and that sort of good individuality and erasing the authority that is necessary to function as a society. And so he says uh, it breeds that, that sort of mind that hates all superiority. Wow. And basically it just resents anything that is stronger or resents anything that's better or is, is doing better. Do you see that in our society today, Sean?
0: Well, yeah. And actually I think about, you know, I think we've been, we've tried to be fairly fair, even when we were, when we're transparent about some of our political or spiritual convictions, fairly fair to um, people with different perspectives than we have. But I feel like this is another time when Lewis's critique actually speaks to both sides of the political aisle when it speaks to the left and it speaks to the yeah. right. Because yep. I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of what's, uh, I've actually been taking notes in our conversation of things that I want to um, work through, but, but, um, but a lot of this critique, I think is aimed at at proponents of, of critical theory, mm. um, which is, which is huge. It's just a part of our worldview now where it says like, um, where we we basically turn victimhood or being marginalized into a, a form of virtue. And so and then we would say that holding power, especially inherited power or, or, or a not earned power, uh, again, by virtue of of your your bank account or your your skin tone or whatever it might be, um, holding those things is just inherently then you you join in the guilt of the generally powerful and that there needs to be, uh, kind of a revolutionary taking of power from the powerful and giving it to the disenfranchised. So, interestingly, that actually overlaps to a certain degree with the idea of the kingdom of heaven. Like Jesus would agree with much of that, but it's fundamentally flawed as well. And so, I'm not. I I, I do think it's it's um, not compatible with the biblical worldview to to hold to. Um, critical theory, but I'm also not a doctor of philosophy. So maybe I'm misunderstanding some things. However, so that's where it would speak to the left and it would speak to like what you just said, like, hey, um, if you feel like a cat, you don't need to be snarling at the at the St. Bernard. You know what I mean? And 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 that critique there of saying um, inequality, as long as it's not injustice, can exist. And we we need these checks and balances and whatever. So it would speak to that side of the political spectrum. But I also feel like, in the um in the generalized evangelical world that there's as much snarling going on um that there's as much there's as much I'm as good as you um kind of spirit going on. So I feel like, yeah, I I feel like that's a very revel- relevant thing for us to think through as people feel like their religious rights. Again, real or imagined, it doesn't matter. It's the perception within the person that they're Maybe the, that their um, religious rights are being taken away, that their social standing is being taken away, that um, that they're no longer the you know the majority, the rise of the religious nuns, et cetera, um, and and d- unaffiliated people who aren't going to church and who you know all these kinds of things. We look at it and we lament it, um, and and I think we should, but for different reasons. And then and then maybe the the more institutionalized church says I'm getting marginalized, and so then they 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 we start to cry out as well and say um, we need to correct this hierarchy because the, the progressive liberal is being favored in the media or the progressive liberal is, is being favored in entertainment and we are getting marginalized. So then you have both sides yelling at one another about this inequity, <laughs> ironically, hmm. mm-hmm. and, where, and where Lewis is just saying, um, quote, you have both gobbled poison <laughs> uh, hmm. because mm-hmm. your soul has not been given the food that it needs with proper sanctified, maybe I could even say, or at least righteous inequality.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, because you're referring to the part where he says if we deny the, the fact that we do crave inequality to some degree, then we will gobble poisonous versions of it. And I think exactly what you're saying is true. It's on the left and on the right. I thought of it I wondered if on the right, it also looks like those who are heading in the libertarian direction, but then going even a little farther to like anarchy, Uh, uh. they want to get rid of all authority because why should that person tell me what to do? I'm as good as they are. Right. Yep. For the record, I just read an interesting article trying my best to research for this (laughs) episode. Um, The guy claimed he thinks... Lewis probably would be a libertarian but a very Christian sort of one. So a libertarian but one with some strong boundaries on how far that can go because of his Christian views. So I thought that's an interesting thing I would just throw out there for people to think about if you're wondering where Lewis might be on the political spectrum.
0: Yeah. And and just if that term's not familiar to you, a libertarian is somebody who philosophically and politically just says, hey, we need as much autonomy and freedom. We need to minimize the state's involvement in our individual lives um, and, uh, and just emphasizes different freedoms, freedom of press and choice and et cetera, individualism, that kind of thing. So if I can ask a, ask a question based on that, then Jordan, um, I think we wanted to cover two essays today. And the second one is two ways with the self. And I feel like all of our conversation there about, uh, equality and equity and whatever that means, um, you've already kind of pointed to it, but it, it demands a question. And that question is, okay, so then what should my relationship to the self be, to myself be, um, why does this have spiritual importance? And, and so, and how, if, if, you know, we, we put on the clothing of equality so that we, we don't abuse one another, um, but we also recognize that we have an internal desire for inequality, you know, so we've talked through all those kinds of things. Um, how do I start to think of myself and others? Um, and so that's where I I think we should just maybe shift our conversation. Let's talk about the two ways with the self a little bit. Um, do you want to summarize this essay for us?
1: Yeah, I'll try and summarize it as best I can. It's pretty short. I mean, it's, what was it, like seven minutes to read? Um, so go have a read through it, listen to it. There's stuff in the show notes. There's links in the show notes of where you can find all of these essays. So two ways with the self, I would I would summarize it like this. There is, uh, because of the fall, again, a Christian doctrine um, that God created everything good, he created humans good and he, for the sake of this, the, the language of this essay, human selves good. But then there was a fall into sin. And because of that, everything is, is uh, tainted with sin and things aren't the way that they're <laughs> meant to be or, or that God intended them to be fully. And with regards to humans, There's like, there's two distinct selves within each person in a way. There's the true self, uh, the person as they were meant to be or as God intends them to be. And this person is essentially looks like Jesus. Jesus is the truest self. And the other person, the other self within every person is, is the false self, the person not as they were meant to be. So the, the true self is God's creation. Lewis says, they are therefore an occasion for love and rejoicing. You should love your true self and rejoice over who God has created your true self to be. But of course, there's the, also the fallen self. Um, he says, you have a condition that needs to be pitied. It ought to be pitied and it needs to be healed. Yeah. And this false self is the self that has a preference for me or for I, for the ego. Um, basically, your your false self is your selfishness, your pride. And that's in a August, like St. Augustine, I think he was a big proponent, as well as Lewis says this a lot. The main thing of sin is pride. Like that's the biggest sin because that all other sins stem out of is pride or selfishness. Yeah, so there's the true self, the false self, and then because there's those two different selves, there's a right and a wrong way to love yourself. And there's a right and a wrong way to hate yourself. He points out that Jesus calls us both to um to hate ourselves and to love ourselves, which is interesting. And so the reason is because there's a right Way to love yourself and a right way to hate yourself. I guess the wrong way, the wrong way to hate yourself is hating your true self, hating your whole being. And the right way to hate yourself, sounds funny to say, the right way to hate yourself is to hate the false self, to hate your selfishness, to hate your sin. And maybe that's where that phrase, you know, hate the sin and not the sinner uh, has some truth to it. Yeah. But then the, the opposite would be true. The right way to love yourself is to love your true self, who God created, who is an occasion for love and rejoicing. But the wrong way to love yourself is to be selfish, to love your prideful false self, to, pride, to love your sinful self uh, that's just soaked in sinful, selfish desires, How's that for a summary?
0: That is awesome, uh, and and as I as I listen to you there, actually, again, I just I feel like oh this, hearing you talk about it recasts it in a different light for me. I I think, for me, the the whole crux of of the essay, as you've discussed it, is brought out in yeah in defining. Uh, Lewis actually uses the term self selfness, mm-hmm. like S E L F N E S S selfness. I don't know how well that that comes across in a recording. Um, versus self and, and yeah, and like you said, that's tied with ego and, and selfishness, I think is, is probably a better way to say it, but, but, um, about where we direct our love. And, and I just think of, uh, uh, where do I get this wrong in my own life? So, because again, the crux, if it's like, am I loving myself or am I loving my selfishness, my selfness, am I, am I hating my selfness or am I hating my true self? is, is the, the moment when I come home. So, you know, I've got three kids at home now, uh, five and younger, and uh, I've got a fairly demanding job and I'm, I'm doing some further education right now as well. So I'm, I'm very busy. And I, and I think that by nature, I either like to be working really hard or doing absolutely nothing. And I'm just in a season of life right now that's lasted several years of, <laughs> of just working very hard. So Lewis uses this example late in his, in his, uh, essay of one of the ways that our ego or our selfness can come out is when we are wrongly hating ourselves. And then we project that hatred and he's using intentionally strong language or that hatred, uh, um, onto others is with the thought, I don't spare myself. So I do not need to spare others. Hmm. So again, imagine I come home and I get home, you know, my wife's been watching three kids all day. She's, she's at home in the season and, um, and I've been working and I'm coming home tired. If I come home with a pile of demands to heap onto my wife and I can see that she's tired, she's haggard. Um, although that would never happen. She's obviously just bright and airy and, and lovely whenever I come home. And I do but I'm just saying hypothetically, yeah. yeah, naturally, yeah, is that, uh, that I would, and maybe I'm tired too. I would say like, you know, I have an opportunity there to step in and maybe show some love to her. Uh, take over supper prep or or watch the kids or do some kind of thing, you know, honey, put your feet up and let me give my rub, that kind of thing, where I could show love to her. Because I recognize in myself a need for rest, I can extend that love to someone else and give them a little bit of rest. Or I could come home and say, I didn't spare myself all day. I've been working hard, uh, not taking any breaks. Um, and she's been working too. And now I can see that until bedtime, you know, for the next, uh, three hours, we got to do some heavy work. And so then I just grind her down. I'm like, Hey, get going, Melissa, you need to go. And then I start working really hard too. You know, I ratchet up the expectations in the household. And if that is motivated out of a thought, I've been working hard. So she needs to work hard. Then he's talking about what happens when we don't properly love ourselves. As opposed to me coming home and saying, I'm tired, you're tired. Let's actually just relax a little bit here. In order to love myself, I need to rest. In order for you to love yourself, you need to rest. So I'm going to facilitate rest in both of us, so to speak, because I love myself. These are two very different, different realities. And I don't know how clear that analogy is, but but it felt the most real for me. You know, so again, I can use that at home. Um uh am I am I? ratcheting up expectations, as I said, um, because I haven't, quote, spared myself, so I'm not going to spare my wife. And the same thing at the college. If I start to see a a member of the staff that I'm I'm leading or that I'm managing, and I can see that they clearly need rest, but I've been working harder for them, harder than them, will I use that as an opportunity to continue to say to them, well, look how hard I'm working, you should do it too? Whether that's, you know, maybe I have a really unhealthy work rhythm. And because of my own spite for myself and lack of holistic, healthy balance in my life, I'm treating myself poorly, so I treat other people poorly. Or is it the other way around, where once again, I acknowledge how human beings are made and because I take care of myself, then it frees me up to take care of other people. So yeah, do you feel like, Jordan, that that's a realistic understanding of where our self love slash self-hatred can go wrong? And uh, yeah, and what would you add to that?
1: Oh, I think that was an excellent analogy um, to just tease it out, especially the the self-hatred part, how that, if you hate yourself in the wrong way, then you're, it's, I think Lewis says it leads to cruelty of others because you hate, your hatred for yourself isn't just hating your brokenness, but hates the parts that God made you to be as well, the good parts and the tr- your true self. And if you can hate your true self who God made, then you will also be able to hate the true and good parts of other people, as you illustrated there. Yeah, and I guess once we start talking about this wrong love of self, uh, as you, again, illustrated so well, I think it it becomes clear then or clearer what uh, Lewis was against with the equality stuff or why he's worried about it, because he... He points out that Rousseau, in his demand for equality in all aspects, it was it was coming out of this r- false self, coming out of uh, his wrong self-love, and coming out of selfishness. Yeah. He wanted equality for selfish reasons, right? That's what that whole thing is. And so he, Lewis says that the right form of self-love is charity or agape. And the wrong form of self love is partiality
0: yeah yeah and and I had that word partiality actually really helps because I think when you show you know you can have the um the explicit egoist, the narcissist mm-hmm. who shows partiality to themselves all the time, but the partiality is indulgence, they indulge in in more and more and more that's for them maybe at the cost of those around them. But then you can also see that par- partiality when it comes to bitterness towards somebody in themselves, where they are constantly belittling and demeaning who they are mm. because they are they are partial um, in, in that they they are partially exalting, or at least seem to be exalting other people. Um, but really what they're doing, they're not actually exalting anybody, they're just demeaning themselves. Oh, yeah. And so then their, their partiality manifests as... Um, as um, a form of self-abuse.
1: Yeah, I wonder if, in a similar way, people in our culture end up hating themselves, like their whole self, including their true self, they end up hating themselves because culture tells them that they're good, but forgets, not forgets, just doesn't believe that we have any original sin, doesn't believe that we're broken, doesn't believe that we're fallen. That message isn't being told to us by secular culture. Cause of course they don't believe in sin. They don't, there's no ground for right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And so our culture tells everyone that they're good and infinitely valuable and you're okay the way you are. Again, we believe God created us good and that we are inherently good. But like Lewis says, we're not infinitely valuable. Our goodness and our value come from somewhere. They come from God. That's where they're found. And so we're not good on our own. Without him, we can't be. And while culture is telling us that we are good and valuable, it doesn't tell us that we are also broken. Huh. Like Lewis says, we have this condition, this fallenness, this brokenness. Maybe you could think of it in a way like we're broken into two selves. But if you don't know that and you're just told that you're good, you're okay, you're valuable. And then you experience the ways that you are, the ways that you're broken, I guess, the ways that you are messing up, the ways that you're sinful, when you come face to face with how terrible your own selfishness is, then you conclude, well, I'm all bad huh. because you were told you're all good. And then you found out, well, that's not true, at least to some extent. So if it's all one or the other, then, and you don't know that there's the true self that, that should be loved and cherished, like Lewis says, but there's also the false self that's broken and to be hated and killed. Once you experience and, and come to recognize that false self, then you're forced to either hate your whole self or go headlong into indulging your false self. We didn't have time to really look these up, but I know that Paul talks a lot about the desires of the flesh. Um, he also uses that metaphor of like crucifying the old man. Um, I think Romans 6, Galatians five. Uh, there's a couple other places. I think in in 1 John it comes up as well.
0: Yeah. And I think that's why I mean the, the title of this of this essay, Two Ways with the Self, it almost could be could be retitled as Two Selves. Um and that and that drawing that slash through self and ego or self and selfishness or selfness. Mm-hmm. is real is is really important here. It's so freeing when I think um well how do I put myself to death here when when I can come to understand like when when the new testament is is speaking of putting to death the works of the flesh or the flesh itself it's really talking about that selfishness, that selfness that is not going to last beyond the return of Jesus. When he comes back that part will be um yeah. you know completely uh uh, removed. And, and then, but ourselves, mm-hmm. we, we don't just get absorbed into him is the thing. We continue to live as um, communing, but separate beings through all of eternity. And, and so that self has to, uh, has to remain. And theologically speaking, can be then a part of a new creation.
1: Mm-hmm. And you actually become more yourself, the more you are in Jesus and the more you are like Jesus.
0: Yeah, which is a conversation that we've had to have with many people overseas hmm. who come from, you know, cultures where Christianity is not the majority, and, and even a background in Christianity maybe is totally absent. And so they think, man, I've believed the message, but this means giving up my my Chineseness or my J- Japanese-ness or my, or my Turkish-ness or my Arab-ness. And it's actually the opposite is true, that if Jesus is really who he says he is and, and, and we can get out of the way— um, of of our of our you know non divine traditions that we that uh, that we may be forcing on people that will actually make them m- more purely and actually and, and perfectly and divinely Japanese and Turkish and Arab mm. um, and so I uh, yeah I I love that that you say that the self actually can be uncovered can be manifest um, when when we love the right parts and, and hate the right parts. So I guess Jordan, then as we, as we bring this conversation to a close, um, to make it personal and to make it real, uh, how did this land as you reflected on the way that you love or hate yourself?
1: Yeah, I think I, I hate myself in the wrong way too often in the sense that I have trouble accepting the broken parts of me, the parts that aren't healed yet. And I think that at present loving myself, I expect myself to be perfect first before I can love myself. I expect myself to just be the true self and not the false self and to be totally rid of selfishness before I can love myself. Yeah. And I guess, I guess just realizing actually maybe an act of love towards myself can be killing the false self. Uh, uh-huh. If that makes sense, like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. or having pity and compassion on myself because I'm broken, but that requires me to accept the fact that I am broken and and accept the and kind of embrace the ways that I am broken and accept and embrace my own limitations and 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 be okay with that and live within them for the time being while we're on this earth and. Some limitations are ines- inescapable at the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What do you think of that?
0: when When I asked this question of myself as well, and and just reflected on what what uh, two ways with the self said to me personally, it took me to maybe as as sober of a place. For me, there's kind of two applications. I remember asking in November. I was I was speaking at a youth retreat, and I was kind of confronting the idea that you're okay the way you are, you're perfect the way you are. I, I hate when people say that, um, you're perfect the way you are, because I feel like what a cage that we've built. And we say that especially to, mm. to teenagers. You know, you've yeah. done lots of youth ministry too. We say it especially to teenagers who are going through the awkwardness of, of puberty and have no idea who they are, and they feel so out of uh, – they feel so discomforted in their own skin. And, uh, and then we say to them, you're perfect just the way you are when they know full well that they're not, kind of what you were just describing. They know full well that they're not. And so I, I just remember challenging them and saying like, hey, wouldn't it have been better if somebody in the 40s would have said to Hitler, you're not perfect the way you are? Mm-hmm. Um, that he, you know, he had grown in control of a world superpower at that time, or a world power at least. And his brokenness, his hatred, his ego his selfness got so big that it actually ended up killing millions of people. Most of us are not going to have that much authority to cause that much damage, but we'll do the same horrific things in our own little sphere of authority and we'll be our own little tyrants and our own little Hitlers. And, and so rather wouldn't it have been great if somebody would have pulled them aside and said, Adolf, um, you know, there, there's a part of you that's good and beautiful, which is even just bizarre to say, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. But but you really need to let go of your you know Mein Kampf. You really need to let go of this whole Fuhrer thing and and this endless thing of your own self hatred that you're trying to treat by making an entire country worship you and then and then turning your visceral hatred against Jews, um, homosexuals and gypsies and now the Western world is is just wrong. You need to be healed. How much better would it have been if he would have said, Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. And in in my own way, I I just I turn that against myself or 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 in favor of myself, I guess, and just say, Yeah. Like you, I'm, I'm not okay the way that I am. Thank God that He transferred me from a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and thank God that I'm being sanctified and and uh, conformed to the image of Christ all the time. Great, but when I'm when I'm a schmuck, I, I want to be able to say, man, I'm glad that's not who I really am, uh, and that there's there's liberty for from that. Uh, I think that's for me, and then and then for me, the only last thing that I would say. Big takeaway is just the the last two sentences of this of this podcast, um, where or sorry of this uh, essay, where Lewis says the wrong asceticism torments the self, the right kind kills the selfness. We must die daily, but it's better to love the self than to love nothing, and to pity the self than to pity no one. Um, so I would just say for me, it's it's going to be about um, looking at my own asceticism and seeing am I tormenting myself with this. Uh, or is it achieving the end of killing myselfness? selfness?
1: Hmm. That's really good. Yeah, as as I have uh, I've mentioned before that I didn't grow up Anglican, and over the past probably decade have slowly become an Anglican. And in the Anglican tradition, there's a lot of different ways that we um, practice asceticism through fasting and and various just various forms of fasting mostly. And as I've learned how to fast, it has been that difficult thing of, I think I started out doing it as a form of self hatred, like punishing myself, torturing myself. My first couple years that I did Lent, it was like, how extreme can I make this? Because it's leading, Lent leads up to Good Friday and Easter and I go. I want to participate in Jesus's death as much as I can. So, how many things can I go out, go without for Lent to kind of punish myself and experience as much pain and difficulty as Jesus did? Uh, I, yeah. Mm. According to this, and Lewis, I think it, I was missing the point there. You know, fasting and Lent and asceticism is more about, um how do I learn to kill the selfish parts of me Mm -hmm. and how do I practice that? And that's actually a form of love, you know, hating, hating my selfishness, Mm -hmm. hating my sin, hating, killing my false self is a form of self love. Well, I think that's, that's
0: just an awesome note to end on. And, And as we always say, Um, If you're listening to this, we strongly urge you to go and read this for yourself, reflect on it for yourself, and I hope the conversation has started you off. So uh, until next time, Jordan, have a good one. Thanks. You too. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on this text. If you want to join us in making these works of C.S. Lewis more well-known, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: And don't forget to leave us a comment and a rating to help get the word out to other listeners. If you have your own
0: thoughts or questions from this episode, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us a message at lesserknownlewis at gmail.com and we'll get back to you.